One thing that I, I had in mind, though, is since this is your first time on the show, is I like, I, I've been doing this thing where I ask everybody the same question, um, which is, how did you get into archaeology? And I like it because uh, everybody has a different answer. And it lets you see, like, after you've heard tons of answers, it lets you see that archaeology intersects with everything. And it touches people in in different ways like people are are coming at archaeology from all sorts of crazy ways and you are are a great example of someone who comes at archaeology in unexpected ways so how did you get into archaeology yeah um yeah first of all thanks for having me on the show and i didn't realize (laughs) it had been years since the last time we did something like this um but uh no it's cool to be back um uh, I might come across as a really big disappointment uh, for how I got to archaeology. Um, I, I got to archaeology because I'm a failure at math. Uh, <laughs> I want—I I kid you not. Um, as a kid, I wanted to be an astrophysicist, and you know, I got farther and farther into high school mathematics, and I just—I just washed out. I'm like, I can't do this. Um, and so we we're like, well, what else can I do? Well, maybe geology. And so I—I f- I washed out of chemistry. You know, I couldn't do the chemistry. And so I'm like, okay, great. Now, what else can I do? Well, I'm pretty good at, at history. I'm pretty good at English. Um, and so I applied to a bunch of schools, and it came down to two schools, um, St. Lawrence University uh, for a degree in environmental science because uh, I wanted to be a forest ranger, um, and then the University of Evansville because they had a good English department, and they had just started – uh, an archaeology department. I'm like, well, archaeology is pretty cool. I got a couple of books. You know, that sounds like fun. And so I actually fell in love with my admissions counselor at Evansville. Um, <laughs> and I'm like, you know, they gave me the same scholarship money and whatever. And it was, it was pretty small. It's not like it was a big a full ride or anything. And so I'm like, you know what? Screw it. Um, I'm going to go here because that's where my heart is. And so, you know, it's basically failing at math, falling in love, put me into archaeology full time. Uh, that is super awesome and it, it what a story about the roundabout ways you get to uh archaeology that's so funny uh i came at it from a similar way too it was it was uh quite similar but i i just sucked at engineering yeah yeah <laughs> which is easy to do you know? <laughs> yeah go, go figure math uh the slayer of us all <laughs> What up, party people? Welcome back to the Go Dig a Hole podcast for the 50th episode. A lot has changed over the past couple years, and we've covered a lot of ground together with you, dear listeners, and some fantastic guests. As always, a gentle reminder to rate the podcast five stars uh, wherever you listen, and uh, go ahead and leave me a review. Give me some feedback. Uh, that way I know, you know, what's working for you or what doesn't. So uh, you can also support Go Dig a Hole on Patreon. Just go to patreon.com forward slash go dig a hole. Your contributions help a lot for an independent listener supported podcast like mine. And you can find me on social media everywhere at Go Dig a Hole. So, uh, for anybody not familiar with you, um, 
you you're doing a, a lot of things but uh I'd, I'd say one of the things that you know just from keeping up with with what you've been putting out on uh, social media and all that uh one of the biggest focuses is archeo gaming and uh you were on the digging atari documentary uh which was super entertaining and um pretty informative and, and it got me thinking about archaeology in different ways and i think it's still on netflix so if anybody uh out there is watching netflix uh go find digging atari and watch andrew reinhardt in the desert uh talking about <laughs> a doomed video game uh but you you uh you also work with punk archaeology and you're an all-around visionary and boundary pusher so oh, <laughs> what are what have you been up to in the in the last few years what are you doing now Oh my God. Um, so, so, so yeah, uh, this, this video game archeology span thing, I started thinking about uh, coming around in 2013. I'd been doing uh, video games and classics. Um, I used to work for a publisher that did uh, Latin and Greek textbooks and I did their e-learning. And so I was really interested in, in using games as a platform to teach ancient languages. Uh, and then that kind of morphed through my love of World of Warcraft into video game archeology. span And, you know, that started off with how, you know, how do we, how do developers portray archaeological stuff in a game? And that then became, how is an archaeological, how is a game archaeology? Um, how's a game an archaeological site? And can we do archaeology inside a game in a, in a bunch of different ways? And so, you know, the archaeology that I started out with in the 90s was like totally traditional you know, bones and stones and pots and stuff like that and <laughs> architecture and all of that and, and uh, traditional archaeology in Italy and Greece. And, um, you know, then flash forward like 20 years and I'm now a second year PhD student at the University of York in the UK. I'm, I'm working remotely on that from home. Um, and, uh, you know, focusing on digital heritage and, you know, what does, what does that mean in virtual spaces or synthetic spaces and, you know, how do people operate in that area? And so it's, you know, the archaeology that I do now is like really weird, but I have a feeling in like 10 or 15 years, it's not going to be weird at all. Um, so, so that's going on, you know, the Atari stuff, we're still publishing the Atari material. Uh, we've got a couple of articles, um, either in press or under review, um, as we continue to, to publish the findings, um, you know, from, from that. And actually the anniversary is coming up April 26th, 2014 was when we actually found the games. And, uh, so it's what, April 17th tax day, uh, 2018. So almost four <laughs> years to the day, uh, from that. And then, you know, the other stuff that I've been working on archeologically, um, is I've been trying a new approach to music, and I know that's that's one of the things we're going to talk about, um, you know, for a lot of this podcast, and and what it means to make music, but from an archaeological point of view, uh, and it's not like banging rocks together for percussion; it's it's something a bit <laughs> different than that, you know. Yeah, <laughs> it's not like flint napping in the studio. Oh yeah, <laughs> don't flint nap on the site. <laughs> Uh, that's awesome. So, uh, I guess, so yeah, we're, we're going to talk about your, your new album. It's called assemblage theory and you've put it out for free, uh, for free download. Um, there's, there's a link on uh, Twitter and I'll be sure to link that in the show notes. Um, so anybody listening on just about any podcast player, uh, see if you can look at the show notes and the, the link should be active, uh, to Andrew's what, uh, album there but uh to read the artist statement real quick i've got it pulled up here 
Assemblage theory simplified means that the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. Things ordinarily separate from each other form something entirely new when combined. This has been my approach to music over the past year. I wanted to find disparate sounds, putting them together in hopefully interesting ways. What you hear on this record is the result of those sonic expeditions, excavating noise, and then returning to the dig house to assemble the pieces. To challenge myself, I picked a different key and BPM for each of these nine songs, and then became a detectorist for CCO public domain sounds that fit the bill. Each song distills the best of that noise to create a sonic assemblage you can dance to. The disparate pieces somehow fit together into something new and pleasurable, and this record becomes an interactive medium for you to explore. This is free to download, share, and remix. Play it loudly through your headphones or in the club. Uh, and I have been loving it. This album <laughs> slaps. It whips ass. It's good. So download it and crank it. It is. It's awesome. I I, I was like so curious when when you put that out. I was like archaeology music dance <laughs> and because i like having listened to some of your your other uh music that you've put out yeah like you had mentioned uh it, it's a departure from from what you've done in the past it's it's very guitar heavy uh is what you normally do and it's kind of like you know like punky surf rock kind of stuff and uh i i dig it it's it's awesome uh <laughs> But this is this is very different and uh, very brave to go into that space. And I I, I don't know that uh, I I don't know like of any other archaeologist like pursuing dance music. So it was it was just really cool to listen to. And then like you know nodding my head along while I'm listening to it was super cool. Uh, so tell tell us a little bit the about the album like beyond the the artist statement. Like what what was the what was it like? Yeah. Um... You know, coming out of a kind of a guitar rock, you know, prog metal tradition, um, heading over towards the, the arena of, of dance music, uh, EDM, IDM, trance, uh, trip hop. You know, I've always been a kind of this closeted, you know, electronica dude. You know, I, I like listening to Paul, <laughs> Paul Oakenfold. I like listening to yeah. Portishead. Um, and, you know, I remember when, when Napster first came out, that was my gateway into all of this cool electronic music is like, man, I can't get enough of this. Well, put it into my head. You know, meanwhile, I've got rush on in the car, you know, but at work I always had the headphones on and I was listening to, you know, just all kinds of weird stuff. Yeah. Um, and, and so, you know, I just got, I kind of got tired and, and of, of the same kind of, you know, writing with the bass and the guitar and, and I've got a good drum set now. And, and I was just like, man, you know, there's gotta be something else I want to do. So I, I'm like, I want to do something completely different. And so I, I just like, I didn't sell my stuff. It's still there gathering dust, but I'm like, I just want to start with a laptop. Um, and, and I'm like, okay, what do I want to do? So, so I said, okay, let's, let's do this. I like this kind of music. I haven't done this kind of music really before. Um, and so, you know, it's, I, 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 I looked up just like, okay, how many beats per minute is a typical dance track? You know, if, if you're in a club, what are you listening to? And so it's usually around 120 beats per minute, you know, plus or minus. I'm like, okay, fine. And so I was looking at, at 
you know, just Googling 120 BPM and seeing what was coming back. And then I'm like, okay, well, this is cool. Um, and I didn't want to limit myself to like, you know, like ethnic stuff or jazz or whatever. I just wanted to find like all of these different sounds that I could pull out that would just string together because I didn't want to have to mess with slowing things down or speeding things up in order to get them to fit. You know, if, yeah. if, if somebody says they're 120 BPM, you know, so you're going to do, 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 you know, then, then, okay, I've got that and I can put them together. And then the, the other, the other trick, and I, I done, I've challenged myself in this way before when I did the punk archeology span record. Um, I tried to do every song in three takes or less and write it start to finish lyrics and music in three hours or less per song. Um, and you know, following that kind of punk DIY tradition of making some rules, you know, that really kind of constricts what you can do is super helpful when you're doing something creative. And so, and so the assemblage theory, you know, really comes in with picking out all of these different kind of sound artifacts. You know, all these sounds are like maybe five seconds long, 10 seconds long. Sometimes there are loops that go for 24 seconds and then they loop back on themselves. Um, and it was a matter of, of saying, okay, well, here's some things that people say are in the key of D that are 120 BPM. What can we do with these? And then, you know, I might come back with 50 sounds and then I listen to them and I stack them on top of each other in the software. Um, and because, you know, I'm really into open access and open source, you know, I was using audacity, um, to do all of this stuff, which is a free, um, you know, audio software program uh, yeah, that you can find. It's pretty powerful for too. Yeah, it's gotten it's gotten better. You know, I will never be able to wrap my mind around like Pro Tools. Yeah. Um, and that's too expensive anyway. So yeah. I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna use Audacity, and it does enough. Um, and so, you know, with this, it was basically creating this site of a song, and and um, you know, when I, when I first do this, I would kind of make a box, and what that means is I'll put like the 15 or 20 songs that sound pretty good together, I think. And stack them on top of each other. So you have like the stratigraphy of sounds, you know, going from top to bottom. And I, I try to make everything about five and a half to six minutes long in the beginning because I have to start cutting away. I have to start excavating through all that stuff. And so basically it's like this big block of sound that I've made for myself. And it's like, you know, Michelangelo like starting, not like I'm a Michelangelo or anything, but, you know, Michelangelo was like start with a block of marble. And then he'd like start chipping away and chipping away. And all of a sudden the sculpture would would, uh, would appear. Yeah. And, you know, same thing is true of, of working in this kind of sonic landscape where you have the raw materials there stacked on top of each other. And you start turning things on, you start turning things off, you start dragging your mouse to say, okay, I want to cut this part out, I want to leave this part in. And, you know, you start to identify themes and patterns and narratives, and all of a sudden what you're left with is this kind of overarching story, you know, that's told through music that 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 changes, you know, just like sites change when you're excavating, you go from level to level. And there's a different chronology. There's different stuff there, but it's the same site. And so I'm seeing songs in that way. And that became really exciting. And as an archaeologist, I'm like, yeah, this is it. Let's, let's, let's do this. Let's do this some more. You know, and after the first song, I'm like, I got to do this again. And so every weekend I would do like one song until I was done. Wow. Uh, <laughs> That that's really fun, and uh, you said something interesting about how you put constraints on it, uh, you know, to kind of help guide the creative process. And I think some some people might think that that's counterintuitive to put constraints on the on the creative process, but I think that there's something really uh, special about making a problem to solve. Like that is that's kind of the thing is is like three hours or less, uh, you know, yeah. kind of thing. 
that's really neat. It's a it's a research question, is what it is. Yeah, you know, because you can go to you, you can go to an archaeological site and you can say, okay, we're going to excavate this, and we'll just kind of figure things out as as the site produces, or you can do. You know, like uh, Martin Carver, Steve Roskams, and those guys, you know, have done in the past, and they're like, we have some questions about this place, and we're gonna see if what we what comes back proves our hypothesis or not, and how can we adjust what we were thinking based on the evidence. And I, I like that approach a lot better. Um, you know, I, I can sit in my basement with a guitar and nothing to do, and I will just plank around and nothing happens. But as soon as I put some of those constraints on, you know, really interesting things start to happen, and and it reminds me of of uh, cut-ups, you know, uh, if you go back to the 1920s to the Dadaists, or if you go to William S. Burroughs back in like 1959, um, where they would cut words up, you know, out of a newspaper story or something, and then re- and Bowie did this too, you know, they they would they would rearrange them, and all of a sudden they would get a different meaning coming out of this particular piece, and so you know, doing this kind of sonic cut-up, um, you know, seemed to produce kind of similar results. That is really cool. Uh, Naked Lunch was a book that I uh, it, it took me probably the better part of fifteen years to finish <laughs> because oh it was just so bizarre. I would get like a third of the way into it and just be like, "What the yeah. hell?" And then you know, get another third of the way through like years later and be like, "Oh my god, this book." And it's it's like the book the book I I hate to love basically is like it. I, I love it, but it's kind yeah. of torture getting through it. Yeah, um, <laughs> no, it it was. I I, um, I read it for the fir- for the first time all the way through last year, um, and I picked up some other Burroughs stuff and tried to get through it. And I saw the film when it came out when I was in college. Oh, isn't it like, bizarre? Yeah, you know, <laughs> I'm a big Peter Weller fan and a big Cronenberg fan, and yeah. so. You know, but then reading the book, I'm like, that was not in the book. <laughs> you know, they couldn't, they couldn't, when it was coming out, my English teacher was like, they can't show any of this. The film's going to be five minutes long. Uh, um, so, uh, but anyway, yeah, it was, that was, yeah, you, you've got to experience it. You've got to come with an open mind. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and a strong, exactly. And a strong stomach. Yeah. Well, as, as you do to uh, creating uh, music too, especially in in the way that uh, you know the methods that you explained. I th- think it took it took an open mind and, and a strong stomach for that as well. Uh, so you had mentioned uh, you know using the constraints as a research question. I think that's a good place to pivot over to other archaeological concepts that you applied to finding the materials and putting them together. Yeah. Um, let's see what else, what else we have going on. I mean, you know, there, there's, there's so many things going on, you know, in this kind of, of way of making music where, where, you know, at one point it's, it's excavation and at another point it's conservation. Um, you know, so, you know, for example, you know, when I worked at the site of Poggio Civitate, um, which is my field school in Italy, you know, it was back in summer of 1991 and I would, uh, you know, after we got down off the hill, we would all go into the pottery area and we just set up at the Bucaro tables, you know, so we've got this black shiny pottery from the Etruscans and where we basically stood there looking for joins for two hours, you know, in the shade. And so, you know, I've got these, I've got these sounds and I think they fit together, but I'm not sure if they fit together. And so, you know, part of the joy uh, of making this kind of music is finding those joins and then applying that adhesive 
you know, to stick them together in order to make something that ultimately comes a pot, you know? Um, and so you've, you've got these, these sherds of songs, you know, that other people have been working on and they've put them out into the public domain, you know, basically saying, you know, I, I wrote this, maybe you like it, maybe not. Uh, I don't know, drop me a line. Um, and you know, other times you're, you're out just looking for stuff in the public domain and then you find these pieces, they may relate together. They may not, they might be made by different artists, you know? So if you're at a site, the same thing is true. I mean, you're, you're excavating and you might find, you know, pots made by this person, pots made by this other person, you know, coins with different emperors on them or from different mints and stuff like that too. It's the same kind of deal. And it all tells the story of the site once you put them together or it all tell combines to form you know, a reasonably complete artifact. Um, and, uh, you know, so you're, you're working with that as another kind of assemblage theory where, where you're taking pieces and, and sticking them together like a conservator does on the site. So we've got that happening too. That is super cool. So, um, in, in the back and forth on, on some of the notes that we were sharing about, um, thinking about this, you had mentioned like formation, formation processes. Oh yeah. Are, are you looking at the album as kind of, the site and the all of the sounds contained in that is is like this this the assemblage um maybe one step beyond you know so for example i've i got a friend yanis lolis um who digs in sikion in greece um and sikionia is this region that has a lot of different sites but they, they all kind of share a space but each side is a little bit different. Um, and so I think of the album more as, as being like the kind of landscape into which these sites, which are songs, are settled. Um, and as you go through the album, you get a real good sense about what the landscape looks like. But you can take each song individually as the sum of its parts where you can say, OK, you know, here we're at the site of the song called Trappist. And you can drill down into that. You could hear about 15, 20 things going on in the song simultaneously that are all kind of contributing to understanding what the song's about. And it tells a story. And then when you combine that with all of the other songs on the album, all of a sudden you're, you're embedded in this kind of digital landscape, which I thought was really cool. So that, that's what I was thinking of, I think. That is a cool way to think of that. And it makes a lot more sense when you put it into those kinds of um, uh, analogies and how you know, like I'm, you, you sent me the, the, um, the folder that contains like all of the sounds that went into Trappist and there's what, 25 items in this folder. And, uh, I, I saw that and I was thinking about the concept of, of a palimpsest of occupation or a palimpsest hmm. of some kind of activity going on. And it's neat to think, you know, now that I'm thinking of the album as a landscape of, of sounds uh it makes more sense because each of the each of the tracks has something very different going on and there's there's a lot of um there are similarities between them um you know it feels like there there might be some common threads between some of them but mm -hmm. then there's also something very very different about each one of them it's it's going in different directions and like you had mentioned in the artist statement each of them are in a different key and a different bpm and you know they're they're applying very different sounds and, and like the the first song or track rather on the album cypher not has kind of like a, a heavy metal guitar track going on And 
then it breaks into like a, a club jam and i i was like when i first heard that track i was i was like in the first couple seconds i was like oh this is neat this is this is different <laughs> and then it broke into like the club jam and i was like whoa all right i didn't see that coming this 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 dro- this drives my daughter nuts. You know, she she does a lot of music on her own too, and, uh-huh. and sometimes we'll 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 collaborate. But I played her this one. I play her all the stuff that I do, and sometimes she gives me a thumbs up, and sometimes she gives me a, what she calls a side thumb, which is okay. Not <laughs> and, and, and 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 she heard that first track, and she's like, "What is going on with the Taylor Swift guitar?" And there's this acoustic thing that just appears on its own out of nowhere in the middle of the thing, and just kind yeah. of splits the song in half. At, before it builds back up into some more conflict and and i'm like you know uh, maybe it's the visigoths i don't know you know <laughs> they, they, they've sacked the song it's an intrusive um, event <laughs> it is it is very much an intrusive event uh it's like what is that doing there and it kind of i don't know it, i think it kind of works so i kept it you know i'm like this is really weird you know you got a metal thing that turns into a club thing and, and, and you'll find this in other parts in other songs on the album as well where where you're listening to this kind of you know ooh synth washes and then all of a sudden it's dubstep um <laughs> So it's like, what is this? And yeah. and yeah, you know, this stuff happens in archaeology all the time, where you get this weird shit um, that just shows up, and you're like, yeah. my dig director Tim Gregory at the site of Ismia, he used to play this game with us called WTF, where he would go and find weird shit on the site, and he'd bring all the guys over, all, you know, all the excavators over, and he's like, okay, WTF, and then we'd have to theorize right there on the spot, and then we kind of talk about it and debate about it and stuff, and so yeah, having having those intrusions in the song, I thought was really important. Um, both to keep it musically interesting, but also, you know, to kind of just, you know, it's like, you know, what is this and, and does this work and, and how do we integrate that into the story of the song? That is really cool. And, um, Trappist also stood out to me as, as, you know, kind of one of these songs that I was just like, my God, there's so much going on here. Uh, but it, it, it meshes together and it coalesces into something coherent uh, kind of uh, despite of or almost in spite of everything going on and uh, it, it was it was just really neat to listen to that one and it, it's very catchy too with, with all of it going on and it, it took many listens for me to kind of be like to, to realize that there was a lot going on uh, so you, you had some things to say about that track too what, what's going on there um you know, we've got a lot of yeah, a lot of stuff going on. Uh, p- part of the the joy of doing music in this way is the fact that I've got stuff that I don't know how it's going to fit, and I'll just you know turn the lights out and I'll just play. And I, I keep a notebook at this stuff too, so I'll say, okay, these are tracks one through twenty-five. Um, let, what does track one sound? It's like doing a factorial with music. Okay, let's do one to two, one to two to three, one to two to three to four, one to two. And I'll, I'll just start lumping the stuff together and creating these these kinds of things, which is where the formation process is coming in. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm making this. Um, and so it's like, okay, how do I get this kind of, you know, Indian style vocal, you know, East Indian style vocal going along with this kind of synth uh trance side chain action is going and and then you've got you've got the singer in the background and then you've got this this just wicked trap beat and some of these some of the songs on here have like three or four trap beats happening simultaneously so there's a lot of polyrhythms um you know that are happening at the same time too and so 
And so it runs a real risk. And, and this is what I like about you know the stuff that I'm that I'm doing is 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 I'm kind of right out there on the edge, and I could really fall and hurt myself. <laughs> um, and, and I've been lucky so far. I, I haven't failed too horribly yet. I'm, I'm still waiting, uh, but I, I have a feeling that'll come at some point. But but for now, you know, I'm, with these with these kind of songs, it's like okay, how much can I add before it gets muddy? And then what can I start taking back in order? To, I guess you could consider that to be like sieving. You know, so yeah. you've, you've got sand and the stuff in there and you're sieving through it. And all of a sudden the interesting stuff just just shows up. And I'm like, oh, that's that's it. That's exactly what I want to do. Um, and and it starts to make sense. And the more I play with the sounds and the arrangements and I'll, I'll stand in my kitchen with the laptop and 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 I'll turn sounds on and off and it'll just be filling the house with this noise. And so, <laughs> you know, by, by, by doing this over the course of like two or three hours, I have found the way that things will flow from the opening part you know the intro you know to the middle part to you know a lot of these have bridges so what's the bridge going to be and then how do we transition that to something else and so you know you're looking at these different levels of deposits and and you're looking at at these these kind of hard limits as far as as where things begin and where things end where they intersect and where they don't and how they transition to to one another and so it's it's very much you know when you look at the screen i sent you a screenshot i don't know if you'll be able to link that to your page or not but yeah but um, it's like looking at a Harris matrix of noise uh, where you've got the stratigraphy and you've got the links going on and everything. You can really visualize what the song sounds like. And sometimes you can go with that as opposed to just listening. You can use your eyes in order to give you that kind of feedback saying, OK, you know, this is you know, one of the reasons why maybe Beethoven was was good, you know, at what he was doing when he when he lost hearing later in his life is that, um, you know, he, he he understood what he was writing and he knew what he was doing. And by seeing those notes on the page as he was writing, he was able to, to make that visual and aural connection at the same time. And so I think with the software, you know, it's helping me do that kind of stuff. Yeah, that is really neat to think about stratigraphy, especially, you know, coming after site formation processes. Uh, and I, I had, you know, I had mentioned the, the Harris matrix uh, as we were chatting about this leading up to the show. And I thought it was it was really neat because you you also had a, a pretty interesting adaptation for using the Harris <laughs> matrix. It, it might be a, a little bit of a sidetrack, but I, I feel like it's worth talking about if yeah, yeah, yeah. if you uh, you feel like talking about it. Yeah, sure. Uh, this I'm actually this is coming out um, in the journal Advances in Archaeological Practice. I think this month. And if not this month, maybe in June. Nice. Um, it's a it's a Society for American Archaeology publication. Pure and how it got through peer review amazes me because you know I got feedback and, and they didn't tell me I was like freaking crazy or anything. They're like, <laughs> this is really interesting. You should check this bibliography and do this corrections and stuff, and then clarify this paragraph and you're fine. I'm like, really? And so so yeah, people are up are are into the weird, I guess. But um, so yeah, that'll I'll be dropping that knowledge this month, I guess. Um, but anyway, with, with, with you know, with the games that I play and the software that I use, um, it's you know, you're always getting versions. You know, there's always new stuff coming out that layers on top of the old. And I'm like, well, how do we, you know, as an archaeologist and especially as an archaeologist of digital things, how do we visualize that, or should we visualize that, or if we do visualize it, what tool should we use? And you know, so I'm like, well. Why not a Harris matrix? Why not just adapt the Harris matrix? Because that's kind of a tried and true thing for understanding stratigraphy. It, it, people seem to understand it and know what it is. And it's been around since the 70s. So let's let's give it a shot. If it works, great. If it doesn't work, well, at least we tried it. 
and we can cross that off the list as something you know that we don't have to do anymore. Um, having come to the end of it, you know, and, and using it to map No Man's Sky, uh, which I really like and I still play. Yeah. Uh, that that allowed me to go through the patch notes and everything and to make these connections and to actually hand draw a Harris matrix that took up half my kitchen floor. Um, <laughs> and it was, it was, it was insane. I still have it. Um, it's, it's hanging in my basement, but, uh, yeah, I got a lot of things in my basement, but anyway, so, <laughs> that's, so that's down there. Um, and you know, at the end of it all, I'm like, well, this was fun. I learned a lot. Um, some of the methods are applicable and we really should be doing this digitally and in three dimensions, if not four dimensions, if we can. And so oh, I, I yeah. talked, I talked to James Taylor about it, uh, at York who does the stratigraphy for Chattelhoyuk. And I talked to, I actually talked to Edward Harris himself, um, you know, he, we, we corresponded when he was back home in the Bahamas and he's like, yup. Looks good to me. I'm like, really? He's like, yeah, sure. Why not? I'm like, oh, this is the best. And so, yeah. And so yeah, that that was some validation right there. Yeah, totally. Well, I'm looking forward to reading that because I, uh, I I remembered when you had tweeted some ideas about it, and uh, you know, you were you were kind of rolling it around, brainstorming on on social media with kind of the the archaeological community there, and I was like, what on earth? <laughs> How is this gonna work? <laughs> and uh, so, uh, you know, then uh, when we got to talk about the the music on this podcast, I was like, well, I, I gotta I gotta pin you down and, and hear about the Harris Matrix because that's that's awesome. Yeah, it it, it kind of worked. Um, it wasn't a perfect solution, but it was a solution. Um, and and yeah, there's certainly some ways forward, and and I would certainly do it differently yeah. <laughs> now that having gone through that process. But uh, but yeah, here we are. Yeah, it's interesting too because uh, you know you're you're adapting archaeological methods that have been applied to you know certain contexts, uh, you know for for the Harris Matrix specifically, and applying it to something else, and it requires a little bit of adaptation to make it fit, and it, it makes me wonder what else could could be you know transformed through that, but the idea of taking archaeological methods and archaeological thought and applying them to other things is also what you do with with archaeo gaming and you know here we are with with the the album as well it's it's just neat to see you know kind of like well where else can this go and with the album it it kind of made me think you know with with this taking sounds and and moving them into other places and using them in contexts that might be surprising, you know, kind of like in Cyphernaut, the the you know heavy metal guitar going into something danceable. I was like, wow, that's that's an interesting reuse and, and repurposing of of that material. And when we think about yeah. that in archaeological contexts, like I've worked in the Maya region a lot, and you see a lot of that with you know the monumental architecture, you know, post post collapse. Um, you know, monumental architecture gets kind of stripped down and repurposed for other things. And yeah. uh, you you see that in other contexts as well, but it's, it's neat to see that here it's, on the album as well. Yeah, it's this kind of, this kind of audio spolia, you know. Yeah. It's like, we're, we're going to rob this out and put it over here, uh, which is completely alien to the intent of the original author or the original creator, um, which, I, which I think is fun too. And I, you know, I've I've seen this before in some of the stuff that I do. You know, 
I, I can't really sing that well unless I'm shouting. Um, <laughs> so occasionally, occasionally, you know, I'll, I'll put a song together and I'll send it to a friend who can sing. I'm like, hey, can you sing on the top of this? And I'll have a vocal melody in my head. You know, I, I have the song. I've been hearing it this song for, for a couple of days. And I have a really strong vocal melody, but my voice isn't going to do that. Um, and so I send it to my friend and my friend's like, hmm, okay. And then they'll send it back. And, and it is not the vocal melody that I had in my head. It is something completely different and it completely takes me by surprise because it's the same underlying tracks. But the stuff that they've put on top of it is totally different than what I would have imagined. And, you know, you get this thing too. It's like, you know, if, if you took those 25 tracks that I sent you for the, for the song Trappist uh -huh. and you tried to put those together yourself, you would come up with something completely different that would probably work. Um, you know, this is just my interpretation, you know, in this particular song. But, but again, this is also like sharing things publicly as, as archaeologists when we publish. It's like, okay, I have this evidence that is leading me to this conclusion. What do you guys think? Here is my open data. Go for it. And so they're taking a look at the open data. They might come to a different conclusion. So the same thing is happening in the music. I can make the tracks all available as, as CC0, open access, open source. And people can take it and they can put – you can reassemble that material and they'll come up with a different answer. And I think that is amazing. Yeah. Um, it, it just blows my mind. I would love to hear that. Yeah, and I think it's neat. The medium of instrumental music really lends itself to alternate interpretations. And kind of, I don't know, I feel like when you remove vocals, or at least lyrics, um, you know, it's it's easier to do those, um, you know, the, the snippets and, and the reorganization of it. But it's also easier to be maybe not easier, but I think it lends itself to being kind of imaginative about different contexts. And I'm a big fan of post-rock. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Uh, kind of like, as, as you had mentioned, I'm also kind of a, a you know secret uh, electronic music fan as well. But, uh, you know, with, with post-rock, I, I used to write for a music blog and I would review albums. And uh, I got a chance to talk to uh, the guys in Pelican and uh, Trevor was, you know, I was asking him about some of the songs and he was like, well, you know, this is what I was thinking, but you know, yeah. like it, it's really up to you. Like <laughs> yeah, yeah, if yeah. you enjoyed it, then it's, it's what you're doing with it. <laughs> no, you're, you're totally right. I, I get that when like I go to art museums and you know, you don't want to read the signs too closely because you just want to have the painting, you know, what, or the sculpture just kind of wash over you or, or you you confront that, that piece of art and you bring stuff with you and the artist has brought stuff with them and you kind of meet in the middle and shake hands and, and, uh, and see what's going on. So, you know, with, with that kind of music and, you know, this, this also goes back to an argument I had with this guy, um, over at the Archeo gaming blog where I got really trolled and I got trolled for the first time, oh. uh, which surprised me because I thought I'd be trolled a lot more by a lot of other people <laughs> with a lot more frequency. Um, and, uh, and now this was, this was like the first time and he's like, this is bullshit. Um, and, and, uh, I'm like, wow. You know, and I'm like, is he right? I don't know, maybe. And, and so I had to go back and like rethink everything. And, I, and then I figured, no, it's not bullshit. And here's why. But, but uh, you know, the fact that it's like, why don't you ask the designers of the games what they were thinking when they built these worlds? And I'm like, you can, but you're not going to get the full answer. Right. They'll either have forgotten or they'll give you something, you know, because they're really busy. And it's, it's really up to you to go and observe yourself and come up with your own conclusions. You know, what they have to say is fine. It's part of the narrative. But 
but it's not the complete story, even if it's the, you're talking to the person who made something. Right. And they didn't build it with archaeological, you know, theory and method in mind either. So no, of course, of course, the not. interpretation and, and, through that lens is, you know, your novel interpretation of it. So you know, why, guess what? how can you call that bullshit? <laughs> the, the people who built the Athenian Acropolis did not build it for archaeologists. very true nobody builds anything for archaeologists but here we are (laughs) you know it's 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 great it's like you know we we all have a piece of the story to tell so uh, you know whether we made it or we're interpreting it it's it's all the same story yeah you don't really build anything to make cool ruins later on (laughs) unless you're like evans you know, on Kanasas. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. like, oh, here we go. Let's 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 rebuild it. We'll make Kanasas land and, and you can come and visit. It'll be amazing. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Just like it was. Honest. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, we we were talking about Archeo Gaming. You have the Archeo Gaming book coming out next month, right? Uh, that's what they tell me. Um, I got a, I got, I got an email from my editor today. Um, there was one issue with an image and we're still fighting with rights to use the images on the cover. Um, but that being said, it's going into typesetting now. So it could be end of May. It's probably more likely going to be sometime in June, but not, it's not far off. You know, they're, they're marketing it now. So it's actually going to happen for real. Nice. Uh, so. And, and yeah, that's a little scary because all of a sudden all these people I don't know are going to be reading this and saying, you know, either that's bullshit or what, or, you know, that's cool. So yeah, I don't know. I mean, people come to it with different things and get something out of it. So, um, but, (laughs) but yes, it's coming out this spring. Uh, well, that's really cool. And, uh, speaking selfishly, you know, I'm out here in Portland, it would be super cool to see you give a book talk at Powell's books, uh, with the Gaming book. (laughs) So I don't know how to make that happen, but, uh, we can work together to make it happen. I don't know. know. Is is there a Mr. Powell? Is there a Mrs. Powell? You know, what's, (laughs) is there a a Dr. Powell? You know, who who can we talk to? Yeah. Excuse me. Powell family. (laughs) Yeah, we let's make this happen. Um, I've I've been to Oregon, but I've never been to Portland. Yeah, it's it's fun, and uh, you know, there's there's a place for you when you come out here. So uh, oh, that, that's great. Uh, the yeah. last time I was in Oregon, I almost died. Uh, so hopefully, this will be a better experience. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I'm I'm super curious. Is is that something you're comfortable talking about? <laughs> oh, I almost froze. I almost froze to death in the Steens Mountain Wilderness. Oh God. Yeah, it was it was it was uh, a bunch of bad choices that when you combine them make a really bad situation, you know. <laughs> uh, so, so yeah, I, I mean, I've been doing wilderness backpacking for twenty plus years, and I, I'm not a stranger to how things are supposed to work. But yeah, I just it was just a bad decision compounded by another bad decision, and sometimes you have trips like that. Yeah, and so I was on top of a mountain, and there was a blizzard, and I was out of water, and and uh, I got hypothermia, and and uh i you like said my goodbyes on my phone and went to sleep uh and i woke up the next morning extremely cold and i couldn't feel much of anything and was able to find some water and then took myself off the mountain so i was really really lucky wow but yeah yeah so maybe western oregon is gonna be (laughs) it's gonna treat me a little better (laughs) yeah it's a little more temperate on this side of the cascade (laughs) yeah yeah i haven't done much camp i haven't done much camping since then yeah that that would do it. <laughs> I'm still afraid of the cold. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm uh, not a big fan of the cold either. That's, that's a big reason why I'm in the more temperate side of the state. Yeah, sure. 
Yep. Well, was there anything you, anything else you wanted to cover about, you know, the the album, Archeo Gaming, Punk Archaeology, uh, all all of the projects that you're you're rolling around? I don't know. I mean, you know, all the stuff that I do is is informed, I guess, with this kind of punk DIY aesthetic, and you know, it I, I do stuff, you know, not because it's you know, it's like, oh, this is going to be totally weird or whatever. It's just, I like strange things. And I, I like kind of applying, you know, archaeological method and theory to other stuff, you know. And, and so this kind of puts me in, in between worlds, you know, where I'm in traditional archaeology or digital archaeology, but also media archaeology. And, you know, you're trying to, to form this community of practice where, you know, we can be open-minded and we can do stuff and share things openly. Um, and, you know, I think that's the best way to be as far as scholarship goes and scholarly publication and all of that stuff. So, so yeah, anything I do is informed by that kind of core aesthetic of, of, of DIY, of community um, and open access, open source, uh, no matter what. And being able to try something. And if it works, great. And if it doesn't, well, we tried it, cross it off the list, let's do something else. You know, as, as far as the record goes, I hope people like it. Um, you know, I, I like, I still listen to it. You know, I, I've been working on this thing for a year. And so I still put it in my headphones and there's still something new that surprises me, you know, for, with every listen. So, um, yeah, I hope, uh, you know, people can get something out of that and hope they enjoy it. And I would really like to hear this played, you know, at various archaeology dances you know, around the world or whatever <laughs> at conferences and, you know, dodgy discos and stuff like that too. And I'm going to see if I can like start a Spotify artist account and see if I can't, you know, start putting it out onto Spotify and if people will pick it up and listen to it, not knowing that it was made in an archaeological way. Yeah. That is super awesome. Well, where can people find you online? Yeah. Uh, the blog archaeogaming.com is the easiest. Um, and then uh, uh, Instagram um, at Archeo What Now, <laughs> and then uh, I've, I've got uh, three Twitters um, at AD Reinhard at Archeo Gaming and at NMS Archaeology. The short for No Man's Sky Archaeology for that project. Nice, nice. I'll be sure to link all of those in the show notes. Uh, once again, anybody listening on any sort of podcast player. Uh, just take a minute to look at the show notes and there should be active links in there that you can click on from your mobile device or your computer. Uh, and Andrew, thank you so much for joining the show. It's been awesome talking to you again and awesome listening to your album. Oh, thanks. Thanks so much. That makes, <laughs> that makes me feel really good. You know, it, a lot of times I just make stuff for myself. And so it's nice <laughs> when I, I put, st I put stuff into the world and people seem to like it. So yay. Uh, but thanks. Thanks for having me. This has been fun. Yeah, likewise. It's it's been a, a fun new direction for a show, and I I feel like uh, you know I, I've been uh, I wouldn't call it into a rut, but I've I've been exploring various themes pretty deep, and I'm I'm ready to explore other things. Uh, yeah. So I I think the the next ten episodes at least uh, I'd like to go in different directions. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I try to do that every day. <laughs> you know, yeah. it, it's it's really fun, and it never gets boring. Yeah. Exactly. Thanks for listening to the Go to Go Hole podcast. If you enjoyed this show, please consider uh, supporting it on Patreon. You can go to patreon.com forward slash go dig a hole. Uh, all of your contributions are incredibly appreciated. And uh, I've already been able to do a lot of amazing things with your support. 
So thanks again, and please uh, share this with any of your friends, colleagues, classmates, students, teachers, whatever. Uh, you can also find me online. I'm very online. Uh, the blog is godigahole.com. Uh, you can find me on all the social media platforms at godigahole.com.